this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I hope you take out your Bible and study with me this morning and be looking at the passages that we're going to be discussing. Adultery is going to be our main topic this morning in thinking about the biblical view uh, of adultery, thinking about some of the propaganda, the lies that the enemy spreads with regard to adultery and what our culture says about it. We want to look at the biblical perspective, try and get the biblical perspective in our discussion this morning. I want to take just a minute to invite you to visit our website, if you haven't already, at leonvalleychurch.org, or email us if you have a, a question or comment or a topic, topic that you would like to hear discussed, perhaps on, on this program, and our email address is leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. You can find that on our website, uh, as well as a number of other things. Uh, once again, our website is leonvalleychurch.org. You can find resources uh, that email address, ways to contact us, uh, and times of services, things like this. So feel free to check that out. Uh, well, let's get right into it this morning. We're going to be thinking again about adultery, the lies of the adulterer, and the biblical perspective on adultery. You know, we live in a culture that tells us adultery is exciting, that it's uh, an, an affair, as we often uh, say, that it's irresistible, in some cases, and that in others it's acceptable. You know, it's not uncommon to hear in, in period pieces in the media or the movies to uh, to hear men speak of their mistress and that that was just socially and culturally acceptable. Uh, even even in our time, in a lot of circles, perhaps not so much as it once was, but, uh, you know, our, our experience with adultery should tell us something different. I know it's glamorized like so many sins are in the world today. But if we would just take a step back for a moment and think about our own experience with adultery, that we would be told something entirely, entirely different. You know, it leaves, you know, people who commit adultery, who get wrapped up in adultery, they leave a long and painful scar across their their families and their own lives. It's brought grief to many churches it's stolen the hope of salvation from many people uh, because it is sin. Adultery is is a curse. Uh, and again, we have a, a culture that arrays itself like an army against marital faithfulness and joy. And the media portrays marriage as difficult and boring and not worth the time. But it's the extramarital affairs or the premarital affairs that are exciting, that are fun, that are exhilarating. You know, we think about the popularity of pornography that creates uh, a sexual appetite for everything else except marital satisfaction, and that's the picture of uh, you know that's the that's the picture that the Bible paints for us of the the marriage relationship is that it's honorable, it's to be held in honor among all, and that it is the only place in which physical desire, sexual desire, can be fulfilled. We even though we're, we're surrounded by people who uh, we'll joke and talk about uh, the thrills of having an affair. Uh, the The truth of God's word still stands despite despite all of that. 
There was a recent poll from the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy that reveals nearly 75% of people who commit adultery, uh, that, that they would do that. 75% of people would commit adultery if they thought they could get away with it. So that's a whole lot of people who sit around and think about why they should cheat on their husband or their, their wife. And as a result, you know, of that research, you know, that, that reveals that at least one in three marriages will face the reality and the agony of adultery. Uh, but if you look in Proverbs chapter 5 and chapter 7, uh, there's a, a lot of things that are said about adultery. We're going to take a look at some of those things this morning. Uh, but Solomon, of course, who was inspired to write Proverbs and, and the Holy Spirit, he describes adultery uh, as as a luxurious path that has nothing but bitterness and grief and violence and death at the end of it. So with that glaring reality from the scriptures, why why do people think, why do people walk so willingly toward this toward adultery, toward having an affair? Is it because we tell ourselves lies about adultery until and until we can't get away with it anymore, until the trap snaps closed and we are we're caught and there's nothing we can do. Uh, so we want to think about maybe some of those lies that people tell us or that the media wants us to believe or that Hollywood wants us to believe or the culture wants us to believe. And we want to look at Bible truth in the face of those uh, those excuses, those lies and and the rationale of the enemy. And so maybe people think, like a lot of people in that poll uh, from Journal of Marital and Family Therapy, that I can get away with it. Uh, and if I could get away with it, I would I would do it. Well, you know, from a human standpoint, there's probably a lot of things that we think we can get away with, but that's never been true with with God's eyes. Because we'll know, our spouse will eventually know, and God will always know. And the simple truth is, adultery more than any other sin has a way of finding you out. You know, I think about the Ashley Madison uh, scandal that just, you know, was all over the news and was getting all over everybody for a long, long time. And how there was only three, three zip codes within that database of, of users and the Ashley Madison site, if you don't know, was basically a hub where... Uh, people looking to have an affair could go and find other people wanting to have an affair, uh, extramarital or people who weren't married wanting to have uh, affairs, sexual encounters with married people would go and they could link up that way. And then there was this leak and all their identities were released. And in that information that was leaked out, it was discovered that there was only three zip codes in which there were people that didn't have an Ashley Madison account. So that tells you how rampant uh, adultery, at least the desire for adultery, is in our society. So all those people were found out. There was a lot of terrible fallout. Uh, you know, some people committed suicide, and it was just, it was terrible. And more than any other sin, adultery has a way of finding you out. That's what Moses said in, in Numbers twenty three thirty two. if memory serves, that your sin will find you out. In Proverbs chapter 7, Beginning in verse 18, Solomon writes, 
Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. And this is the writer speaking from the the uh, seductress or the adulteress's perspective, wanting to lure this uh, young man into uh, into her, her bedroom and have an affair. So verse 18, Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. And he took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come home. And that's the end of the quote of, from the perspective of the, the adulteress. And then here's the counsel beginning in verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him, this young man that she's talking to. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once he follows her, verse 22, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. So that's a very vivid imagery from the Holy Spirit here in Proverbs chapter 7. That, yes, it sounds very sweet and very appealing. And uh, this man or woman who's using such seductive speech uh, can paint a very rosy picture and use very many enticing words. But ultimately, the reality is held up beginning in verse 22 that this is going to end only in death. That's the picture. These pictures of death. Ox going to a slaughter. Stag that's caught in a trap. Uh, till the hunter comes and pierces it through and kills it. A bird into a snare. All these pictures are pictures of death that ultimately nobody escapes. Nobody gets away with it. No matter how many times they tell themselves, I can. I can get away with it. It's not true. It's never been true. God will know and God will bring into judgment. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13, beginning in verse uh, 4, Hebrews 13, verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So there's the promise, and that will be universally true. It always has been, and it will be till the end of time. Another passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 this time, and verse 13 Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says that no creature is hidden from his sight, that is God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So we can tell ourselves, I can get away with it, but God will know, we will know, all things are laid bare before his eyes. He's warning us in Proverbs 7 verses 18 through 23 that this is going to end in death no matter how momentarily satisfying or fun or exhilarating it may be, it's really going to be terrible in the end when we are judged, as the promise is in Hebrews 13, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge those who do not hold marriage in honor or defile the marriage bed. So another rationale or reason that is often held up to justify uh, adultery in our in our society is that God just wants me uh, to be happy. How many times have you heard that? Well, we're just such a great fit for one another. Uh, I I love him or her. We're so much more compatible uh, than you know I am with them than with my spouse. Uh, and so God would want me to to live this to live this way. He wants me to be happy. So I just need to be the one that I'm happy with. Be with the one that I'm happy with. And that again is just not true. Our our happiness even is not his top priority. Now, it's true that uh, peace and joy 
are, are in the kingdom or, and our spiritual blessings in Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 3, all spiritual blessings are found in Him. Um, but to, to say that God wants me to be happy in sin is, is anti-biblical, is contrary to the Spirit of Christ. No, He doesn't want us to be happy no matter what. He wants us to be obedient no matter what. He is the King and we know that he said in Exodus, all the way back in Exodus 20 and four, verse 14, when he was revealing that old law to his people in the Ten Commandments, he said, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, another text that speaks of, in, in the New Testament anyway, of deeds of the flesh or deeds of darkness or sin, Paul says these are evident, sexual immorality, impurity and sensuality, adultery, uh, idolatry rather, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And so sexual immorality, fornication, of which adultery would fall under that umbrella. So happiness and, and joy is really the fruit of faithfulness, not not forsaking faithfulness in order to get to get my own way. Again, the the lie is, and, and part of the seduction is, that this is going to be fun. This is going to be exhilarating. Uh, but in the end, it ends ultimately in death. You know, maybe maybe you, you are more compatible with that person, but so what? You know, it's against, it's against the law of God. You know, John the Baptist, when he would preach against uh, Herod for... Uh, taking his brother's wife uh, back in the Gospel of Mark. It's recorded that uh, John the Baptist simply told that man, it is not lawful for you to have her. And so he didn't go into any sympathetic reasons about, you know, I I know, you know, maybe you're more compatible or maybe you love her and she loves you. Um, but even, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt, which I, you know, I don't think any of those things were true, but even if it were, you know, John just bypasses all of that and says, what matters is God's law and it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And that's, that's what we need to take to heart is that God wants us to be obedient. You know, we can tell ourselves that we love her, we love him. And we might have some affection for them, or it might be lust, but it's not—it's not really love, because ultimately, we are causing that person to be lost eternally, and that's not genuine love. That's not uh, love. Love doesn't betray a spouse. Love doesn't hurt innocent children. Love doesn't again participate in in the wicked deeds of darkness. You know, you want a picture of what biblical genuine love is. You go to 1 Corinthians 13, and you look there at what Paul says beginning in those first uh, 13 verses or so. And specifically, he says this in verse 6, that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Or love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin, but rejoices with the truth. So biblical love then simply isn't found in adultery. It can't be. It can't coexist with sin and in sin. And we we wouldn't rejoice in iniquity if we genuinely love that person. But 
Nevertheless, that's what people do. They say, I love them, even though we're in sin. Uh, but that is not biblical love. Uh, still others might rationalize or, or say that, well, my spouse, my husband or my wife just left me no choice. I didn't have any way out. And, you know, we hear that a lot. You know, people seem to think that if their spouse is difficult or if their spouse becomes unappealing, uh, that this gives them the right to commit adultery. And blaming others for our sin has never worked. It's never right and it's never worked. You know, we go back to Genesis chapter 3 and we look in the garden and there was a whole lot of finger pointing going on there. You remember after Adam and Eve fall and God confronts them, he goes to Adam and and what does Adam do? He says, it was the woman that you put here with me. She gave to me of the fruit and, and I ate. And then God goes to Eve and says, is this true? Is this what you did? And Eve says, yes, it was the serpent though who deceived me. And so, but they're all hold, they're all held accountable, right? They're all pointing the finger at Adam's pointing the finger at Eve, and Eve is pointing the finger at the serpent. And it was true that, of course, the devil was there and tempted her and seduced her, uh, but ultimately she made the choice, and Adam made the choice to disobey. Uh, so even if circumstances are difficult, even if we're tempted, even if even if someone tries to seduce us, uh, and we feel like we're unhappy in our marriage, or maybe we are unhappy in our marriage and we think we have no choice, that does not mean we repay evil for evil. If our husband or wife is maybe even legitimate, maybe it's not a matter of perspective, that we, it's not that we just think that they uh, are, are unappealing, but maybe they are uh, being unkind to us or, or, and maybe our marriage is, is suffering because... It hasn't. We haven't cultivated biblical love for one another over the years, and now it's everything's going sour, and the wheels are coming off. We don't repay evil for evil, but rather, as Paul says in Romans twelve and verse twenty-one, we overcome evil with good. Sin, sinful behavior, including adultery, is always selfish. It's always choosing self and what self wants over the greater good. And again, that's not a characteristic of, of biblical love. We see that love in, in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 does not insist on its own way. And some translations simply say love is, love is not selfish. It's not selfish. And so we need to remember that. We need to take that to heart and try to overcome evil with good. Maybe, maybe our husband or wife... Uh, has made some bad choices and has hurt us or has uh, been unkind and and has made things very difficult for us, made made the relationship very difficult. Well, that does not justify, has never justified repaying evil for evil. The only exception to that, and this would not be, this would not fall into the category of repaying evil for evil the only the only legitimate time that we may divorce them is according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 uh, is if they do commit adultery if they uh, uh, have an extramarital affair and commit fornication Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 8 that because of the hardness of your heart, 
Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from beginning from the beginning it was not so. And so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits commits adultery. Uh, so that is the only exception given for divorce and, and remarriage. If one spouse does go ahead and commit adultery, this is how serious God takes this sin in the marriage relationship and also how zealous he wants us to be to make things to make things work so you can go to Matthew 19 and we're not going to do that this this morning and look at that and do a study on on biblical marriage and divorce and remarriage um, because that would take up too much time but just look at Matthew 19 and look at that controversy there over marriage and that people were wanting to know well why when can I when can I get a divorce? When are things bad enough that I can get a divorce? And Jesus is essentially saying, never. You may have to remove yourself from a situation, but the only legitimate reason legitimate reason for divorce and, and that will allow you to still be acceptable in God's eyes is if your spouse commits adultery. And we'll return to that another time. Uh, that's a study for another time. Um, but in that case, that would not be repaying evil for evil if someone were divorced to divorce their spouse for committing the sin that we're talking about this morning, which is adultery. Uh, someone again might offer up a reason saying that it it won't it won't hurt me, and of course that just flat out flies in the face of everything that we've seen so far. Sexual immorality in general. And adultery in particular uh, corrupts minds and bodies. Of course, it ruins our soul. It robs us of salvation. And so Paul writes, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. So God made us for a purpose. He made our minds and our bodies to be used for cert- for his purposes specifically. And he wants us to enjoy the sexual relationship within the parameters that he has designed and that he has he has laid out. And so when we try to go outside of those boundaries thinking that I'm an exception to the rule, it's not going to affect me in any way, well, that's just, that's not true. Um, sin, sin ruins us in more ways than one. And it will hurt ultimately in eternity, but we can be sure that it will hurt us here and now, according to 1 Corinthians 6. And verse 18 and a number of other passages. And someone might try to tell themselves, well, I can still be, I can still be all right with God. You know, maybe they might say that along with that previous excuse that we looked at earlier, that God just wants me to be happy. I can still be okay with, with God. Uh, but it shouldn't come as any, any surprise to us that unrepentant adulterers as Hebrews 13 says, are going to be judged. And that is, you know, the metaphorical use of judge in that context as in others means to be condemned. You know, but there's unrepentant adulterers that go to worship every Sunday all over over the world, and they proudly call themselves Christians because they believe somehow that God is going to accept their behavior. When everything we've seen in the scripture is is pointing us to and showing us that adultery shatters a relationship with God. 
Galatians 5, 19 that we read, Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7, Hebrews 13. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on. David is remembered for a lot of things, but one of the most studied and probably most discussed events of his life is his affair, his adulterous affair with the woman Bathsheba and the subsequent murder that he arranged of her husband so that he could take her as his wife. And Psalm 51 is well known for being the psalm that David wrote once he came to his senses and realized what he had done and was no longer drunk with sin or trying to conceal it, as he says in Psalm 32. But Psalm 51 is his his psalm of, re- of repentance. And he says in Psalm 51 and verse 4, beginning in verse 3 rather that I know my for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me and against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment David knew that his relationship with God had suffered and been had, and had been shattered and broken because of his of his adulterous affair with Bathsheba because of his sin and so he is crying out in the psalm for forgiveness he wants to be made clean again he wants to be uh to have fellowship with God again and so he continues and and says in verse 7 purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow create in me a clean heart o god verse 10 and renew a spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So here is a man who knew that, no, I I cannot still be all right with God. God is not okay with what I have done. And when he finally comes to to terms with that, when he finally grasps, grasps that, as a result of Nathan confronting him, the prophet Nathan, and telling him of his sin, David prays fervently for forgiveness and to be restored into a relationship with God. He is not, he's not a man who's interested in offering excuses anymore and trying to conceal his sin or lying to himself or lying to others that he has, as he had done probably for several months at this point. He is broken and he wants to be restored. He wants to be made clean. Adultery is a curse. Adultery is a curse. It ruins people. It, it ruins our relationship with God. It ruins our souls. robs us of salvation. And so, a couple of closing points here as, as we run out of time. We need to remember that Each and every one of us are not above being tempted into adultery. We can't even afford to start entertaining the thoughts. I believe as Jesus warns in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and following. You remember what he says there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He says, If you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
And so we need to guard our minds and guard our thoughts. Don't allow it to enter, even the notion even to enter into our thoughts. We need to be concerned with enjoying physical and sexual satisfaction within the marriage relationship, enriching our own marriages, working to make them better and guarding them. Um, but at the same time, understand that we are not above being tempted by adultery, that any of us could fall. And also, we need to remember that if we have succumbed to this sin, maybe you're in an adulterous relationship right now. You know, if the statistics are correct, then someone listening to this program this morning has committed the sin of adultery. But the truth is, you can still repent just like David did. There is forgiveness to be had. Even adulterers, those who have committed adultery in the past, can be useful to God and can be useful to their family again. In the world, 31% of marriages survive adultery. But among those who are trained by the grace of God, that success can be even higher. So don't let adultery be the reason you or the people you love lose their soul. Make marriage a relationship of honor and not a reason for judgment. Marriage is honorable among all, Hebrews 13 and verse 4, and the marriage bed is not to be defiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. You need to do something this morning to get right. I hope you will. I hope we've all been convicted by the Word of God this morning. And I thank you for joining me. look forward to studying with you again next week. Please, if you have any questions, email us at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Be happy to discuss these things further or set up a study with you if that's your desire. Hope you'll tune in again next week as we look into God's Word and see what His will is for us. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.